Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor. I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started? Let's send it! Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 61, and we have waited so long for this week to be here. And honestly, it's been a little anticlimactic, Sam. But it is officially game week for for uh, for Husky football, and I'm I'm welcoming in my co-host tonight, Sam. No Justin tonight. Uh, Sam, why don't, why don't you share before we get into the Husky football talk? You were at the you were at Justin's wedding this this last weekend. How did everything go? How did the best man speech go? And uh, have you talked to Justin since? I, I saw a picture from from his honeymoon just today. I think they just got there either today or yesterday long flights to Bali. Um, so pretty jealous of that, but yeah. How did, how did the wedding go? The wedding was, was amazing. Um, it was up in the quaint Harbor town of Roach Harbor on San Juan Island. And it was Beautiful. like perfect weather. It was sunny out. It wasn't too hot. Although I will say standing up, uh, during the wedding ceremony, the sun was just like beaten down on one side of my face and i totally got like the two-faced sunburn situation going on sam you need to be smart about this we've gone over this with your with your sunscreen application yeah. i have never seen a worse sun sunburn than a 68 degree cloudy day at Kamano when sam had his shirt off for the entire day yeah and well that's a problem it got him the it overcast him. days on on the on the puget sound are always the ones that'll get you. But um, yeah, the ceremony was fantastic. The venue was unbelievable. Um, It was really great to meet more of his wife's family that I hadn't met before. Uh, Get some of the the bachelor party crew together. Everybody missed you, Connor. We were reminiscing on our amazing baseball drinking game comeback of the year. So it was a really good time. And most importantly, the, the ceremony and um, the re- or the uh, reception, everything went off without a hitch. And Justin and Samantha seemed like they had a great time. And now Good. they're in Bali, so I'm sure they're not complaining. <laughs> they're balling in Bali. Yeah, for sure. So it was good. We, we definitely missed the Fredericksons, but you were there in spirit for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I obviously was texting Justin throughout the weekend. And we've talked a little bit since, but yeah, I want to make sure he's enjoying this this moment special moment in his life obviously we should cheers to that so what are you sipping on tonight to uh cheers to justin and cheers to the start of husky football this year i've got something special for the occasion okay of husky football starting and uh celebrating justin's wedding i've got some gentleman jack and some boom mm-hmm. some boomerang excellent yeah make sure you're careful with that boom man <laughs> that Dude, stuff I know. catches up pretty quick we've learned the hard way couple we nights. have yeah how about you what are you sipping on um i'm just going again with a topo chico hard seltzer but i do have some scotch to follow that up the monkey shoulder um from Very last nice. year that i only i only break that out during the football season so you betcha yeah excited to sip on that here in in several minutes but i'm i'm gonna finish my topo chico before i i move on to that well we got a game this week man so without further ado, we should we should uh, preview this game against Kent State. The Kent State Golden Flashes, I think, is their their name. I thought they were the what Flashers. Kind of, 
Is it flashers? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just oh kidding. man, I honestly <laughs> hold don't on know. to your tops, ladies. It's the flashes. I, don't worry. <laughs> I I had to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do, what do the sororities look like at that place? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I honestly didn't know. I mean, because their their mascot I know was like a like an eagle or something like that. I thought they were like the golden eagles or something like that. But then I saw it was flashes. So I don't know if that's yeah. a nickname for a bird or something like that. I don't know but, because um, the backside of their mascot bird, it's like a lightning bolt. So I don't know if that's what okay. golden flashes is like a, a lightning bolt. So, I'm not okay. Sure. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, kind of a weird, weird name and a weird mascot. But nonetheless, that's that's our opponent on Saturday um, at home, 730 p.m. on FS1. Yep. And if I haven't like if we haven't bitched enough about late kickoffs on this podcast, try having a one month old and trying to stay up. <laughs> for a husky game at 7 30 p.m so i'll do it because i'm a dedicated dog but i'm gonna bitch about it as well well if week anyway, one this year goes anything like week one last year i'm pretty sure you oof. won't be able to fall asleep at all Oof. i would say yeah, that's way not... rougher than a one month old <laughs> i'm that's... pretty sure you didn't sleep for like a week oh man yeah i certainly didn't sleep well that that night and i was out in gifford washington in the heat in a tent and i just did I, I wouldn't have slept well anyway but i don't think i even slept maybe an hour that Listen, night I, I, was just I still i still don't sleep well i need this week one to go off with a major victory with some style points for some redemption so i can sleep again it's a new year man it's a new year we need it's to move new on year, from last it's year. a new era but that it nightmare is. lingers it lingers yes. and it'll feel good to like it lingers hard Get that monkey that off aside. of DeBoer's back. Yeah. 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 Um, but I was talking about how this has been kind of a weird, weird lead up this year. And I think it has to do with how the team performed last year. So you would, yeah. you would just texted me just today, kind of how it seemed like there wasn't quite as much hype um, up around. It was just, it, it, it seemed to be like kind of a slow build so far this year, I guess, to this week. And we thought it was going to kind of explode this week, I think. But yeah. it really hasn't. Um, so it, share your feelings around that, and then we can kind of start delving into into this game a little bit more. Yeah, no, it's just been interesting, and I'm glad that you feel the same way. Um, granted, you have a one month old, and our homie mom a little distracted right off, now. So like both of us are distracted. You more yeah, so than me. It's true. But like no, that's fair though. I have actively been seeking out media content to get pumped for this game. And it just mm-hmm. hasn't been delivered. I, you know, softy on what is it, ninety three point three KJR now on FM radio. Mm-hmm. He had the Husky honks on Tuesday, so there's maybe like an hour or two of content there. But like, Dogman.com hasn't put anything out. I'm sure they'll have predictions out tomorrow or today if you're listening. Um, yeah. But it just seems like there hasn't been a buildup. Like even the Seattle Times, for example, generally, you know, to start the season, they have their big like college football Seattle Times section that breaks down the roster and the depth chart and the schedule for both the Huskies and the Cougars. And it's just like, I don't know. It just seems like it's not been a true game week buildup. And it's just been kind of weird feeling for me, but Listen, folks, we're happy to fill the void for you tonight. <laughs> Grab your cup of coffee if you're listening in the morning. 
grab a beer or a whiskey if you're listening in the evening and get pumped because Husky football's fucking back. Hell yeah, baby. I'm, I mean, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm very excited about this. Like this is, we miss this a lot, you know, and I, I believe strongly in this Kalen DeBoer. Oh yeah. Staff and, and this era. I, I, I do think that this is going to be a good era of Husky football um, for years to come. So I, I think that in and of itself is what I'm excited about more than anything. I'm really excited to see this offense. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's going to be refreshing to see something a little bit new there. Um, and just, I want to see, I want to see the energy back in the purple mm-hmm. and gold again. You know, it's, it's it last, last year was just such, such a shit show um, for so many reasons. <laughs> and I'm just so ready to move on from it, you know, and this is, this is the only way that we turn the page, right. Is just, yeah. you got to kick off this season and just start something new. So that's what I'm most yeah. excited about. I think it's interesting um, though. There's like, for me, at least there's this sense of anxiety that I have on behalf of Kalen DeBoer, coach DeBoer. Like I think all of Husky Nation has that same. Yeah, that like you know how about. last year went. It went so terribly. This is a full new, brand new era of Husky football. Total overhaul mm-hmm. of the coaching staff. There's a new sheriff in town, Coach DeBoer. Off season, I don't think there's that there's anything else he could have done to win Husky Nation over. Yeah, up until Saturday at seven twenty nine p.m he did everything right. And so I just so badly want to feel like at the end of Saturday night. And when I wake up Sunday morning, I so badly want to wake up and feel like we got this higher, right. And not doubt it for a second. Sure. And that is sure. the way that I feel that way is if we're putting up 35 plus points and our backups are playing the fourth quarter. That's yeah, what I'm And we're winning about. by like, two or three scores right yes so and uh, and so like it's part of that like anxiety about making the right like i so badly want coach DeBoer to make the right first impression with husky Mm -hmm. nation and like it's Mm -hmm. such a huge pivotal pivotal climactic moment to win this first game especially with how last year's week one game went that like right if we can just come out with the statement went off the top, I think he can bring a lot of those bandwagon fans back on and, Oh, we need it. So yeah, I'm filled with excitement, anxiety. I'm nervous. I'm hopeful and optimistic all of the above. So I just need the day to be here already. I need seven, I need seven thirty PM Saturday to be here. Like right now. Yeah, no doubt for sure. Um, I feel I echo all the same feelings that you you have, Sam, and I think probably we're not the only ones when it comes to right. dog fans. Um, you know, it's we had a lot of hope going into last year, too, you know, and it kind of bit us in the ass and we just don't want that to, you know, happen again. So um, let's talk about this Kent State team, though, that we've we've never I guess. Well, Kent State series history. We usually kind of go over like the history of of the Huskies going up against the the school that we're about to play. And no and behold, we've never played Kent State before. So this is the first first matchup. So this is going to be a pretty short segment. Um, we'll just which say is, that they were seven. Yeah, go ahead. Which is honestly kind of shocking, given the little connection yeah. that we have with Kent State, given 
That's where we yep, hired our most successful coach. Don James was the most successful coach, still is the most successful coach in both Kent State and University of Washington history. It seems odd to me that like we these two schools have never done a deal and and made a game happen. But nonetheless, yeah. um the second most successful Kent State head coach is their current head coach, Sean Lewis. So I think you're about to just, you know announced their record from last year and yeah at Kent State it, they've been looking better than they have in many 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 years yeah I mean they're not they're not known to be a football powerhouse by any means even though they no. have produced you know a, a legendary coach in Don James early in his career yeah. um and this I mean this Sean Lewis kid I think is gonna get a pretty good opportunity down the line as well he seems like a really good coach um but anyway, like you were saying, uh, record last year, they were seven and six. They had a 13 game season and then a bowl game. So I think I'm not sure how that worked. I think they just had like an extra out of conference game. Uh, but they lost in a bowl game to Wyoming, who I guess was a somewhat familiar opponent to us. Um, and I think that was in like the Idaho potato bowl or something like that last year but nonetheless this year's team is i mean a a lot of the return a lot of returning players on this year's team from last year's team uh minus the quarterback we'll talk about that in a little bit um but they are a team you know in their in their conference that is predicted to be towards the top i think they're predicted to be second in the mac this year mid-atlantic was that mid-atlantic conference yep something like that yeah um I know that they have like Middle America mu- conference. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I mean, kind of. I know that they have um, wacky game. Like they're they play on like Tuesday nights or something like that a lot. I think. Yeah, they have like a Tuesday ESPN night football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the one thing that if, I if will add though is like yeah. this Kent State team. If you if you're thinking that it's like, you know, thinking about a Montana or a Portland State who's on our schedule this no. year coming into Husky Stadium you know, and the big stadium and the big, you know, powerhouse program is going to, you know, be unusual for them. Forget about that. First of all, Kent State talent-wise is way better than Montana and Portland State. But secondly, if you look at Kent State's schedule out of conference last year and this year, it's fucking brutal. Last year, they opened up at number six, Texas A&M. Then Which A and M ended up being kind of a mad team last but year, still, but still, it's A and M. You're playing yeah. at Texas A and M. Then week three of last year, playing at number five Iowa. Then you're playing at Maryland. This year they Legit play. Teams, yeah. This year they play at UW. It's worse. <laughs> at number nine Oklahoma, and then in week four they play at number three Georgia. <laughs> who might be number one at that point (laughs) yeah so my point here is like usually when you schedule a team like this it's like oh UW is the marquee game like Kent State is granted they've lost all of these games and likely will lose all three of them this year but my point is is like Kent State's out there grabbing money which is great for them but like they're taking some L's along the way but at the same time like coming into Husky Stadium is going to be nothing you know, out of the ordinary for these players. Right. Yeah, for sure. It shouldn't be an unfamiliar environment to them at all, even with, I mean, I I don't think it's going to be a sellout by any means, but there should be a pretty good showing, I think, there. 
I mean, I know that they're still selling pretty cheap ass tickets right now. I keep yeah, getting the emails for like fifteen buck, fifteen dollar tickets. So yeah, and the that that makes me a there. little that makes me a little worrisome for what and the environment's going to be. But I imagine there should be fifty thousand plus, probably, is my guess for for an opening game. And you know, some of the yeah. students will come down for it. Mostly, it'll be like fraternity guys, but that'll probably yeah. be it. Also a late kickoff, so that also doesn't help. Right. Um, before we get into the depth chart, Sam, and kind of shift our focus to to the Huskies, did you mention kind of Sean Lewis and a little bit more of his background? And I know that we had, it's it's a name that if we have loyal podcast listeners, that they yeah. should recognize the name because it's someone that you had mentioned in the off season before we had made our coaching hire. Um, right. So why don't you why don't you share a little bit more about Sean Lewis and kind of you know your potential like he was kind of a dark horse candidate for you for, right. for us to hire possibly yeah yeah so I, I i've already mentioned him in terms of being the number two most successful head coach in kent state football history and number one obviously being don james which was in the late 60s early 70s so that tells you like the fact that sean lewis has this program in a you know winning record territory says a lot I mean, it's been 50 years since they were in that position. So I think the fact that he's able to rally this Kent State team, and again, with that, again, going back to that schedule that I rattled off last year, the fact that they came out with a winning record, seven and six, is damn impressive to me. So I think that goes to show that Sean Lewis is obviously, you know, able to be motivator, you know, CEO of that football team. But at the end of the day, what he's really his bread and butter at this point is he's kind of one of the up and coming offensive genius type coaches where, and and we'll see like it, this, this Kent state offense is going to be a challenge for the Husky defense. They put a lot of pressure on the edge of the defense. They're running RPOs all day, every day. They've got an athletic mobile quarterback and they're going to run they're going to try to run 100 plays on Saturday like they want to get the snap off with 20 23 seconds left on the play clock which is you know it it, it will be reminiscent of if you're an Oregon fan the good old days of like Chip, Chip Kelly, Kelly yeah. where they're really pressing the edges of the defense with a mobile quarterback like Dennis Dixon, Marcus Mariota and a lot of they're running and stuff too yeah a lot of like dummy fly sweeps where they'll fake the handoff. And it's just a lot. You're throwing a lot at a defense, every snap and the snaps are coming quickly one after another. And this Kent state team does it better than anybody at this level right now, in terms of their ability to run at that blistering pace and, you know, avoid penalties, uh, conditioning issues. Quick three and outs. Yeah. So this offense will be a good test. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think really highly of Sean Lewis. I wasn't, I didn't think that he was going to end up being the hire, but I think like, obviously sure. with that Don James UW connection, like yeah. it's a fun name to throw out there, but what I think really is there worth hanging on to is like, as a Husky fan going into hiring the new coach, we really wanted that new innovative offensive minded head coach which we definitely got in DeBoer and while they run pretty 
significantly different offensive schemes. Sean Lewis is up there in terms of like college football offensive minds. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time before he gets, you know, a, a pretty good promotion at a power five program. For sure. I completely agree. Um, before we get a little bit more into Kent state and their roster, let's talk a little bit about the the depth chart that was released for UW on Monday. And you texted me Monday morning, bright and early, I think. Um, yep. And, you know, happy game week, kind of like we usually do first depth charts out. Um, so that was, that was a familiar text and a, and a great one to, to receive, I think in my half awakened state <laughs> at that time, <laughs> awesome. at the time in the morning. Um, but yeah, why, why don't you share a little bit about your thoughts around the depth chart, um, the first depth chart that was released for the 2022 season? Well, I'll let, I'll let you go first, actually, because I don't okay. think that we've talked about, we finally have a named starter at quarterback. We do. Yeah. And I mean, this is no surprise to this podcast, um, and most of Husky nation at this point. Um, but Michael Penix Jr. was officially named the starter. Um, that was actually last week. I think it was last Friday that mm -hmm. DeBoer actually uh, broke that news to the media um, and confirmed it with his depth chart on Monday. So uh, no surprises that the transfer from, from Indiana, uh, who has been coached by DeBoer and is familiar with the offense, is is named the starter and you know he was probably the leader in the clubhouse when spring ball was here and going into fall and um i think he he definitely was doing enough in in practices and in scrimmages to uh, hold on to that position so um for sure i think the the highest upside of the and the and, and the highest floor probably of of the guys in the room at this point um, yeah. in their careers um, but you know, there's obviously some, some experience and talent behind him that if, if he does go down, which is a huge, if, um, with his injury history, quite that honestly, with his history, it's not, if it's when it's, a, it's almost a given. Yeah. At yeah. some point, um, he will, hopefully it's just a game or two though. Right. Like it could just be, right. uh, a tweak or something that he just has to miss a game or two, but nonetheless, we have some, some good backups behind him i guess i'll turn that 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 side of it to you because he kind of had some comments about the backups in that mm -hmm. room that we've mentioned numerous times on the on this podcast what what were your kind of thoughts about how he portrayed that he and ryan grubb both both had some yeah some interesting comments revolving around around the backup position yeah i think before directly answering that i think i'll take a step back just for Husky fans that haven't been following these coaches' press conferences since they got on campus, I I really urge you to go on to, you know, University of Washington Athletics YouTube or Twitter or whatnot and watch these press conferences because it's so refreshing. This coaching staff, particularly head coach, offensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinators, they're very open with the media. They're not guarded like we are used to with Lake and Peterson. And they give really, they come across very authentic and genuine answers. And particularly Grubb will kind of go on these little rants and end up divulging information that as a Husky fan that's looking to soak up every piece of info possible, I'm not used to getting little tidbits here and there. And so like 
I say that because it's been particular particularly relevant in the quarterback battle. I mean, they'll say something like, you know, Michael Penix Jr. and Dylan Morris have the arm talent to throw it all over the field, whereas like Sam Heward doesn't, but he's got like, you know, premier touch and he's able to like float and put air under the ball. And so it's like you don't get those details from previous staff. So like I would really encourage Husky Nation to go out and listen to these press conferences, especially as we get into game weeks. I think that you'll be able to pick up on a lot here. But um, in terms of naming Michael Penix Jr. the the starting quarterback, I think, you know, it's what we expect from, from Coach Kalen DeBoer. But I, again, in terms of that theme of being open, he's like, it's a slight competitive disadvantage to announce it, but it's a major advantage to like let our team know and give this quarterback starting reps for two weeks. And like also taking that quarterback battle into pregame warmups is a distraction for the team. And so like, I love that they announced it when they did, they took the time to talk to both all three quarterbacks in person individually before it got announced publicly, like I, again, like I said, this coaching staff has done everything right in the off season. And, and this is no exception to that in terms of backup. I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Both DeBoer and Grubb alluded to the fact that if Penix went down in game one, which knock on wood, hopefully doesn't happen, uh, that Dylan Morris would be your number two guy. With that being said, Sam Heward's probably made the biggest jump from spring ball to fall camp and is right on Dylan Morris's heels. So if I'm reading through the tea leaves, I think by mid season, Sam Heward's your certified backup quarterback. um, Yeah. And would be coming in if Penix goes down. And yeah, I don't say at this point, like you have to assume all three of them are going to be on the roster this year, which is, a great outcome. Yeah, for sure. And I think the coaches did a, you have to give them credit for navigating that whole thing. Right. Too. I mean, there's, it's a touchy subject in today's college football being, you know, named the starting quarterback or not being named the starting quarterback of a, a a specific team. And kids take these, these things very personally and seriously. And, you know, the opportunities for college athletes these days uh, to look elsewhere are a lot more, you know, ready some than they used to be as well. So um, for them to navigate these waters, which I don't think, again, it, I think there's pretty good, pretty good uh, reasoning behind the the current depth chart. And I don't think there's necessarily any surprises to Husky fans. So I think it shouldn't be really much of a surprise to anyone on the team and much less that room. Um, but nonetheless, like they, they could have botched this whole thing and we could be losing Sam Heward, you know, right now. Um, so, and that would suck, <laughs> you know, that, that wouldn't be good. Um, um, but nonetheless, um, I'm, I'm excited for Michael Penix Jr. I, I do think that he's, he's a real talent, um, that, and, and a, a, a type of talent at that quarterback position that we haven't seen in a while, as far as just like the mobility factor, him you know, extending plays and moving around in the pocket, um, his playmaking ability just in general and his game game gamer mentality. Um, we just haven't had that, I think, at that position for a little while. 
Um, Jake Browning had some of that, I would say, but I mean, you probably have to go back further than that to really find a more comparable um, quarterback to to Michael Penix Jr. I guess, do you have one that comes off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, the thing that the the thing the person that comes off the top of my head is honestly Keith Price. Where yeah, you he's know, got a little bit of Keith Price. Where it, like there's part of me that wants to say Jake Locker, but Penix just isn't. If I'm comparing the, he's not a burner as far yeah, as speed. Yeah, if I'm comparing you know? the athletic and arm, the athletic ability and arm talent, he's way more aligned with Keith Price. Where like he can, yeah, certainly hurt like you. Like sophomore his legs. Keith Price, sophomore Keith Price. Yeah, right. That's before what kind I mean. of the knee injuries started to, yeah, derail his career. Where like he can certainly hurt you with his legs, and then he has, you know good enough arm talent to make all the throws on the football field. He's, mm-hmm. a, you know, he's an accurate passer. He's a commander in the huddle, but like, you know, I don't think that he's a elite world talent like Jake Locker was, you know, right. He doesn't have the physical ability that someone like Locker or Tuyasa Sopo had. Yeah. So like, I think he fits yeah, more into that. Keith Price element where like Keith Price probably had more physical abilities than Jake Browning. Jake Browning definitely got more out of what he could do than Keith Price ever did. Injuries probably plays mm-hmm. into that a little bit. The team mm-hmm. surrounding him definitely plays into that. But Michael Penix Jr. is a quarterback that you can very easily win. Like he's not going to be the reason we lose lose games. Like, no, and I mean, yeah. He's an All eight, I was gonna nine say is like, win a yeah. win type quarterback. And like him at his best that Indiana season when he was, you know, kind of a front half of the year Heisman contender. Right. That was with Indiana talent, right? Like UW has better talent at, specifically at the receiver position right now for him to take advantage of too, that if yeah. he can get back to playing that way, which is, is a big if, you know, I mean, it's, it's the same offense. So he, in theory should it's just you know i don't know how he's how healthy he really is everyone says that he's healthy but we we need to see it to believe it i think um but given that you know or or sans that like the sky's kind of the limit with michael Penix at at quarterback i i do think that he could be a top half of the con like more better than top half of the conference probably a top three quarterback in the conference at his peak so yeah um, i totally agree and as as important as the quarterback position obviously is, and as highly debated as it is, there are other positions on this football team. Obviously, uh, we just we just spent a good chunk of change there talking about the quarterback position when it comes to this depth chart. Um, any other surprises for you on this depth chart, Sam, um, as it pertains to kind of what we've been hearing in fall camp? Honestly, not really. The only one that was mildly surprising was at the wide receiver position. Where, unsurprisingly, Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan are your number one, number two wide receiver. And then number three, at least for us on the podcast, I think we felt that the nod would go to Jalen Polk. But, you know, I thought, you know, we've heard a lot about someone like Giles Jackson in that rotation for third wide receiver. But the fact that the listed starter at the third wide receiver in the slot is Taj Davis definitely came as a mild surprise. 
And the reason why I say it's mild is, you know, on the surface and in the short term, it seems to have kind of come out of nowhere. But at the same time, Taj Davis was definitely one of our more reliable wide receivers last year. And he had a lot of playing time last year um, and should be a familiar face and name for Husky Nation. So in the same breath, it's really not incredibly surprising that someone who started and played and received a lot of passes last year is your number three guy. Needless to say, we're going to see all five, all six of them probably. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And that was kind of my, my, the point that I was going to build off of that with is that um, Ryan Grubb was pretty adamant that, you know, I mean, Taj Davis is listed as the starter, but he and Jalen Polk are kind of listed in their minds as basically equals. They'll probably get pretty much equal snap counts and equal opportunities in the offense. Um, And like you said, that this wide receiver core is five or six deep that they're going to rotate those guys all in. Jalen and Rome are your clear leaders, I think. But after that, I think it's kind of a a committee type type uh, role for basically everyone. Yeah. And then, I mean, the other name there, too, is Junior Alexander. Like he's made yep. some pretty incredible, spectacular catches. Like, can he? And join he's on the, the depth fray? chart. Yeah, can he join the fray? And I think that's the exciting thing that I'm most looking forward to is like, oh man, when was the last time we had a prolific <laughs> passing offense? Justin, yeah, should be thrilled Keith with Price. what he's about Keith to Price. see. Sophomore I mean, I year. guess Jake, Jake, Jake Browning. Jake Browning sophomore year was pretty incredible with John Ross and Dante Pettis. I mean, he was, he was Pac-12 player of the year that year. Yeah. I think 43 touchdowns is it's all right. That's, that's throwing (laughs) the ball around, around the yard a little bit. Pac-12 record (laughs) at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, that's, that's 2016 though. So that's, it's been, it's been a minute. Oh man. Six years ago. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah, it, believe it or not, we're getting old, Sam. Dude, I feel old, let me tell you. But anyways, <laughs> depth chart-wise, there's really no surprises. It's going to be a lot of the familiar faces and names that we've been that you've either seen last year. I think we have 12 returning starters across the board. The yeah. the you know, new starters are going to be names that you heard. A lot of them are transfer portals in, and I think that's a great I think that's a great sign for the staff like very intentional additions to this team that a lot of those folks that we brought in through the transfer portal are starting and will be big time contributors and three out of our six captains this year, this will be right. the first Good. year on campus as transfers. So like DeBoer Good and point. the staff recruited leaders to bring in to help change the culture and that's yep. one of the reasons I'm most optimistic is like, it's a new era. It's a new sheriff in town from a coaching staff perspective, but in the locker room player to player, it's also new sheriff in town with Wayne Talapapa running back named captain um, Cam bright at linebacker named captain. And wh- who is the third that got named Penix. And then, yeah, obviously quarterback Michael Penix jr. So those are three and, new faces. and Jeremiah Martin, who was a transfer last year. Right. So, so yeah, it should go to show that like these new faces are going to be faces that you'll get familiar, familiar with Saturday night for sure. Right. For sure. Yep. No, I, 
I love that you brought that up too with the whole captain thing. I didn't even think to put that on our notes. So that's, that's awesome to bring up as well. And a, a, definitely the whole changing of the culture with, with the, the players that they brought in is extremely intentional by Kalen DeBoer and the staff. Um, now that we've kind of, you know, I don't know, touched on the depth chart a little bit. Obviously we haven't talked about it in detail or anything like that, but we'll highlight some players on UW later. But before we do that, let's, let's highlight some of the players on Kent state and, and evolve that conversation just a little bit more. Sam, you had mentioned that, you know, this, this offense put up a lot of points last year. They put up 33 points a game, nearly 500 yards a game. Half of that was on the ground. They definitely run a chips Kelly style offense. Um, when it, especially, you know, back in his Oregon days, that style of offense, they're very quick to the line. Um, they run a lot and, you know, they have some talent coming back um, th- from, from last year. And who are some of these guys that you're kind of watching and that you want to make sure that, that UW is, is keying in on come Saturday night at, at seven thirty? Yeah. I mean, I think first things first, the quarterback, Colin Schley, he's somebody that's been, you know, this will be his first year as a starter, but yep. it, unlike the Huskies and Michael Penix Jr., this is somebody who's been in the system for a couple of years, wait patiently waiting his turn. And he had some game action last year, uh, filling in with some temporary injuries throughout games, but he's a dual threat. And I think, at least for me personally, and I think most Husky fans, you know, anytime we face a mobile quarterback in you know these you know rpo is he is the quarterback handing it off are they going to take it outside freezing our defensive end making sure that they play assignment sound defense always makes me nervous and so like first thing that comes to mind to me is like can we contain the quarterback from a rushing perspective like let's when they do drop back to pass are we containing the quarterback within the pocket where He's not scrambling and picking up, you know, super annoying third and fours and extending drives into field goal territory. And Kent State is just mm-hmm. hanging in there with field goals type situation. So first things first is I think we need to contain the running back or contain the quarterback to not beat us with his legs. Make them throw the ball, I think, is going to be the most important piece, especially with how our defense looked last year. We were putrid in run defense and teams were able to easily establish the run and so i think it starts with that quarterback being able to stay assignment sound and contain the quarterback from a rushing perspective but then i'll let you talk about the running back i mean they have a stud coming back with you know double digit touchdowns from 2021 so i i'm more like rushing focused quarterback running back dual threat with their legs out of the backfield is what is like number one key to me right now that we need to shut down yeah for sure uh and i mean that's they run a lot of the rpos like you said so the quarterback is definitely involved in their running game but they have they have quite a running back by committee you know approach here too they rotate a lot of guys obviously running that many plays in a game you have to rotate that many guys otherwise your your starter is just going to get gassed um they do a kind of a standout guy though um named marquez marquez cooper or marquez cooper i'm not exactly sure i guess how you pronounce his name um over 1200 yards rushing last year though which is a you know 
pretty pretty solid amount. And yeah, he had a guy behind him that had 800 yards, who was also still on the team as well, and Xavier Williams. So uh, those are the two names kind of to to highlight in the running back room. Obviously, going to be super heavily involved in this offense, and we're going to have to stop them first and foremost um, before anything else comes in that offense if if we're going to have any kind of success at shutting down this offense um so marquez cooper over 1200 yards last year and 11 touchdowns so it, this guy is the real deal he looks good on 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 film as well um I, again a lot of this is against mac competition that uh, the highlights that i'm seeing so mm-hmm. hard to gauge it when he's facing a power five opponent. Um, but he certainly puts up the numbers to, to get my attention. Another guy that puts up the numbers is their top wide receiver, uh, Dante Cephas also over 1200 yards receiving and nine touchdowns. So as much as these guys run the ball, they're an explosive offense through the air as well. They're definitely kind of your Pete Carroll type of run the ball a lot and then try to go over the top. So we're going to have to stay disciplined on the back end as well. Some of these receivers can have some major speed and they try to get over, get over the top of, of the safeties. need to make sure those safeties um, are, are disciplined and make sure that they, they keep the receivers in front of them on Saturday. Um, so those are two of the guys that, that I'm, I'm looking at on their offense and we need to make sure that we're keeping track of them on the field. If we're going to have any kind of success shutting down this uh, Kent state offense on Saturday. Um, shifting over to the defensive side of the ball, <laughs> kind of the stark contrast, you know, to, to their offense, their defense, not great. You know, I mean, they're giving up 36 points a game last year. So, I mean, as much as they were scoring last year, they were giving up even more. Um, and this is a thing that we talk about a lot on this podcast here, Sam, is we look, always look at their leading tackler for the, for the defense there's from last year was a safety. Not great. Not a great thing. If you're leading tacklers to safety, you want to expand upon that? I mean, you never want your leading tackler to be in, in the defensive backfield. Uh, That's, that's a telltale sign that your defensive line and linebackers are not getting it done. With that being said, safety is a little bit of a loose term here. It is a Rover. So they, you know, their leading tackler last year was what was his name? Nico Bolden Nico at, at Bolden, the Rover yeah. position, which is kind of a hybrid linebacker safety combination. So um not it's not like a true safety leading your team in tackles, but at the end of the day, you, you don't want this guy being your leading tackler. It's right. not a good sign. <laughs> you want it to be one yeah. of your linebackers. And so you know, I did a quick little film study earlier today, watching them again with some of the games they played last year against Iowa, Texas A&M, and then their bowl game as well against Northern Illinois, kind of getting a feel for how their defense stacks up against, you know, a little bit higher tier talented teams. And I, I fully expect, and we'll get into the key UW players here as well, but like this defense can be got on the ground. And so I anticipate the Huskies to have a pretty successful uh, plan running the ball on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, if, if the 
whole safety slash, I guess, Rover being their leading tackler, um, leading tackler coming back wasn't, wasn't enough. I mean, not a lot of their other defensive statistics in general are, are much to note. Um, they got a corner Montre Miller that had four interceptions last year. So make sure he's probably going to be covering either Rome or Jalen, just make sure that we're being careful when we're throwing the ball that way. Um, and then they also have a defensive tackle CJ West that was their leader in sacks. So they don't even really have like a true edge rusher that is a bona fide dude that is coming back. So um, I think we should definitely be able to run the ball against them. But even when we're passing the ball, I think we should have some success. It doesn't sound like they generate a lot of pressure. So Michael Penix should have some time back there. I like our receivers against their corners. Um, I just, I, I feel like we should definitely be able to put up points against this defense. Uh, 30, 36 plus is what I'm going to guess. So that's what I want. G dang Connor, we're going 12 and 0, just like last year. Let's <laughs> there it is. You got me there sold. It's going to be a, a barn burning offense. You just wait and see. Uh, Justin would love that. I think he's going to love it because it's going to happen. Yeah. It, I mean, chances are it it can't be worse than last year. Dare I even say that? Well, it can't I'm because if we, lost, day, but... if we lost to Kent State, it wouldn't be as bad as losing as losing to Montana. So, But losing to Portland State would be. <laughs> that, yes, okay. Losing to Kent State and then losing to Port, Portland State? That would be bad. That would DeBoer not... might might yeah. be fired after game two <laughs> i think jen cohen gets fired at that point yeah but that ain't gonna yeah, happen just a total teardown. i'm I feeling optimistic i think DeBoer is the man i do too like right, i let's, just let's can't say our... any better i don't think that there's anything that DeBoer could have done this offseason better than what than how he did it can't yeah, think of i think he got out of the park I, the recruiting thing i think was the biggest surprise to both of us just that, because... but even just like the way, again, like I go back to the way that the coaching staff handles themselves in press conferences. They're very like down to earth. They're willing to have conversations with the media. They're open. And yeah. it just seems like, you know, I love how he puts the defensive coordinators and offensive coordinator out for the press conference before him. That's very like, you know, an indicative of a great leader is giving the attention mm -hmm. to the people below you that are working for you. And um, there's just a ton to like so far. And I just so, like I said early, earlier, I just so badly want the results on the field to match how I feel about him and how he's taken this job from day one through game week has just been perfect. And I just want the result in week one to match that so badly. Yeah. I, you bring up an interesting point just with the the kind of um I don't know the the character I guess of of Kalen DeBoer and kind of what he brings to the to UW. Uh and we mentioned multiple times on the podcast last year that Jimmy Lake comes across as a used car salesman, you know? Mm -hmm. You get none of that from Kalen DeBoer and the genuineness from him, you mentioned that his transparency like throughout the entire process. Yep. Um, he's very down to earth. Um, he's a total family guy as well. 
and he just he doesn't come across as sleazy you know he comes across as a, a, a genuine dude who is his like genuinely trying to make better men out of yeah. out of the guys that he has on his football team um much like yeah, I mean, you, you can liken him to Chris Peterson a little bit, but there's a it, lot it, of similarities. I would I would liken him to the Boise State version of Chris Peterson. That was yeah, more comfortable with the media, a little bit more yeah. Like when we got Peterson at UW, he was very guarded, very mm-hmm. a, a bit more secretive, and you know wanting to shy away from the limelight a little bit. I think you're getting a younger version. Like I think the moral compass between Peterson and DeBoer is extremely aligned on the big things. They're very similar in terms of what's important to them. But I think DeBoer is also a little bit just greener and younger, more excited about the opportunity in front of him um, than Peterson was when he joined UW. And so I think that's a very exciting thing to to capture uh, within the head coaching position at UW. And so it's just like, Man, I again, and it's why I'm so anxious about it. I just want that first you impression want to, to just go well. I just want the yeah. first impression to go well. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I think he's, I think he's the deal. You know, I think he's, I think he's the real deal. And all, all it's missing at this point is results, right? <laughs> so right. we. And that's, I mean, that's the ball game there. Obviously, if if he doesn't get results, it's not gonna, it's not gonna matter. But, exactly, um, and he I can't play. I, he can't play on the field. So at the end of the day, right. this weekend, he's got to rely upon his players. He's got to coach. Who his are players. the players that you're you're watching? Who are the players to yep. watch for UW? Nice, nice little segue there, Sam. Well done. You bet. I got you covered. I'm proud of you. <laughs> well, it all starts with the quarterback, like we were saying. I think we've said his name enough. Michael Penix Jr. Like interested to see what he brings to this offense and interested to see how healthy he looks. Um, I mean, obviously he's DeBoer's guy. And if we see even 75% of the guy that he was at Indiana, it's going to be a huge breath of fresh air to this, this offense on Montlake. Um, It's going to be just nice to be able to put up some consistent points and see some consistent drives. Um, so it all starts with the quarterback. Uh, he's got to play well, obviously. Um, I don't think that he should have much trouble with this defense. They shouldn't test him too much. Yeah. Um, but I don't obviously want to, you know, put my foot in my mouth with all that either with the bad taste <laughs> like that we, we have like last we year. Did, so. Like we did last year. <laughs> exactly. So I'll say it with, you know, a little bit of a, but he's, he's obviously, yeah. he's got, he's still got to do it. You know, he's got to, he's got to prove it and he's got to play like we think that he can. So yeah. that's where it starts for me, obviously on offense. But there's plenty of other guys to to mention as well. Um, why don't you go ahead and mention the other offensive guy that we have on here, and then I think most of our focus here is going to be on the defense, um, especially just with the the potential challenges that Kent State prevent or presents us. Yeah, for sure. I think offensively, you know, we've talked about the wide receivers there as well. I'm hopeful that we you know, maybe not a single wide receiver stands out, but that we're able to distribute the ball across five, six wide receivers throughout the game. But what I'm really looking for, and again, going back to that film study that I did earlier today, watching the the Texas A&M Kent State game, the Iowa Kent State game, and the Northern Illinois Kent State game. Last year's Kent State defense, although I will say they have a new defensive coordinator this year from Iowa, 
So it will be a little bit of a different defense, but personnel wise, looking at the team last year, this is a this is a defense that can be ran on. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing number 21 transfer portal running back Wayne Talapapa from University of Virginia having a big day. And I think he's just I think he's a mission kid. So I'm and he's like a sixth year COVID mission kid. I yeah, think he's, he's like, like 23 or 24, I think. Yeah. I think he's yeah, I think he might even be 25. <laughs> like, yeah. He's 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 an old son of a gun for college football. But <laughs> he's in the you know, peak of his NFL career right now. He's but at UW. He's in his athletic prime and he's at UW yeah. right now, which is great. But I think he's a very versatile running back. Um, he's fast enough to punish a defense. He's definitely a very, you know, built kid, super sturdy, strong looking running back. He runs that way. He's got a nose for the end zone when he, you know, he's just a great running back on the goal line. And he also can catch the ball. He can pass block. So I'm, I'm hoping that UW can come out and establish some physical dominance in the running game. And I know that might, you know, make Justin and some other Husky fans a little bit upset that that's what I'm looking for. Knowing that like <laughs> DeBoer comes in, we've got like, we've got this new quarterback that at one point in time was a Heisman candidate, you know, DeBoer last year with Jake Hayner had a prolific passing season. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm expecting that to be the general theme at the end of the year, but in week one, or whenever you're playing a lesser physical opponent, I want to see us own the game on the ground. And so I'm looking forward to seeing the new transfer running back, Talapapa. I like it when you call me Big Papa running the hey. ball and scoring some <laughs> touchdowns. So that's I like I'm, that. I'm looking forward to that on offense. Um, but yeah, I think a little bit of Michael Penix Jr. passing the ball around, distributing it across multiple receivers. And then pounding the rock with Wayne Talapapa is is what I'm really looking for in terms of key players on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, Connor, who do you have your eye on? Before I switch to the defense, was that genuinely you coming up with that on the spot, or did you hear I that mean, somewhere else? That's the first time. That's the first time I've I've heard it and said it. So there you go. Okay, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure if, if UW marketing is is listening to you. Every time that he scores, that should be blaring on the loudspeakers. It should be. I would have to imagine. It was too easy. I have to imagine that they did that at Virginia. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I It didn't occur to me until you said it. So maybe I'm just dumb. I don't <laughs> okay, know. But... Whatever. It's a, it's a thing. <laughs> big Papa. That's his name. Boom. Now, Heard it here first. Hey, and he's a big dude. So I like it. Um, speaking of big dudes, shifting over to the defense. Oh, Our that's the man. best segue of the whole fucking episode right there. Big dudes. <laughs> Ulumu Ale, baby. And all 340 pounds, I think now he is. He like lost 40 pounds to get to 340. Yeah. <laughs> Dude was huge. Yeah, they're listening to him at 6'6", 340. Um, yeah. And he was, I, I think he like, was 365 what? or something yeah. like that last he's year. He's probably like 15% body fat at 340. Mm-hmm. But he is Easily. officially we talked uh, yeah we teased it last episode that he's he's trending towards looking like he's gonna start and he is officially listed as a starter on the depth chart. Granted, we don't know how 
healthy he is. He's been kind of getting back into practice now after his injury um, during fall camp. So I feel like he'll probably be on a limited snap count, even if he does play. But I'm hoping that we do see at least a little bit of him just because I want to see how much he disrupts stuff and causes havoc inside. He's obviously going to be a mismatch nightmare for a Mac offensive line like Kent State. Um, so he he should blow stuff up if if he's going to be featured on, on this defense on Saturday. So um, starting and it all goes back to us stopping the run, too. Right. Like yep. he could be a huge key in that happening as well. Um, so he's he's a guy that I have circled for sure. Um, other guy, uh, one other guy that I have, I have here is Cam Bright, the transfer from Pittsburgh. Um, mm-hmm. did you catch any of that game tonight? The Pittsburgh versus no, uh, just, West Virginia I, game. I looked at the score right before we started recording. It looked like it was a close yeah. game. Yeah. It came down to the wire. West Virginia, like almost scored. Um, but anyway, that Cam Bright comes from Pittsburgh who, who won, won a game tonight. Um, and he's pretty much our focal linebacker at this point, uh, at least until Eddie Oficio is back. So he should, he's, he's definitely your leader in, in, in who we predict to lead the team in tackles this year at this point, um, super fast too, for his position as well. So you'll see him flying from sideline to sideline as much as Ulumu Ale is going to like blow stuff up at the line. Cam Bright's either going to have to clean stuff up behind him and get to the hole quick, wherever, whether Ulumu Ale is like, like occupying blockers or he's just blowing up the whole run. Or if he's getting to the edge, you'll see Cam Bright, you know, beating running backs to to the edge and stopping them for, you know, note a little gain as well. So I'm looking for looking for him and his speed to flash on Saturday as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And one other name that I would throw in there in terms of specifically this Kent State running attack and how much pressure it puts puts on the edges, I think it'd be easy to call out someone like a Jeremiah Martin or a ZTF or Braylon Trice and at the defensive end position to make sure that they're holding the edge. But I think right. even more so than that, the player on the edge that is going to have to have a very assignment sound and physical game is Dom Hampton in that new Husky mm-hmm. position where he's sitting there at, at 6'3", 225 pounds, you know, playing nickel, playing linebacker, a little bit of pass coverage, a little bit of run defense maybe spying the quarterback. I think he's kind of the X factor in this game on defense in terms of his ability to play the run. And, you know, if the quarterback tucks the ball and tries to run with it, Dom Hampton's the guy that needs Dom Hampton and Cam Bright are the two guys on this defense that need to make that quarterback pay for making that decision. And so I anticipate some big hits from both of them. Um, But then, you know, going along in the defense in the passing game, I think we're both just like chomping at the bit to see Jordan Perriman play in this defense. I mean, that he, for all intents and purposes, looks the part of a starting NFL oh, yeah. cornerback. Oh, yeah. He's six for foot, sure. 200, 210 pounds. Long, quick. too. I just can't wait to see him in a Husky uniform and pick up right where Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie left off. I think he's that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, it's, it's hard to expect him to be, you know, uh, up to the, up to par with, you know, last year's corners being first and second round yeah, talents, no kidding. but even if he's a top 
like four like he he he's kind of predicted almost to go like in the top four rounds at this point you know before he even plays a snap yeah at UW um so I mean that that should say in and of itself of of the talent that he possesses um and the athlete uh, the athleticism itself just looks looks intriguing so i'm yeah i'm interested to see him as well i'm just interested in a lot of the transfers in general you know that yeah. how they fit into the in, into both sides of the ball um and you know have a little bit of a better gauge on what what uh kaylin DeBoer and company kind of saw in these guys to bring them to montlake and jordan perryman's one of these guys i think that stands out for sure yeah, I totally agree. And I think just building on that and using it as a segue to the keys of the game is like mm-hmm. with this new, you know, as we're talking about, this is going to be a total overhaul and unrecognizable Husky offense with DeBoer and Grubb on staff. The same thing can be said about the defense. Like this is going to, you know, the Pete Kwiatkowski and, you know, I hold Pete Kwiatkowski in extremely high regard. Jimmy Lake said yeah. what you want about being a head coach, but DB coach in particular, extremely high regard. But that Kwiatkowski Peterson defense was a very conservative defense. Do not give up the big mm-hmm. play, bend but don't mm-hmm. break type defense. That is not what you're going to get from a Ray Inge, Chuck Morrell coach defense. We are going to be in attack mode. We want our defensive linemen playing in the backfield, super physical, violent brand of defense. And so, like, whether that is someone like a Dom Hampton, Ulumu Ale, Cam Bright, Jordan, Jordan Perryman, Asa Turner, is he finally going to look like Tarzan, play like Tarzan, or is he going to still play like Jane? Like, I will say he shouldn't line up 30 yards from the line of scrimmage this year. That's not going to be the best defense this year. Yeah, so exactly. maybe that helps. Maybe that maybe helps. that helps. But like, I'm super excited to see this more aggressive defense. And like, we're going to have to live with the with the downsides of that. Like there are going yeah. to be big plays, big plays given up that we're not used to seeing happen at Husky Stadium. Mm-hmm. Like I, I fully anticipate Kent State to break off either a long run for a touchdown or a long pass for a touchdown. Some sort of defensive Probably. breakdown. But at the same yep. time, like I anticipate to see a more active playmaking defense that's attacking play in, play out. And I'm excited for that. And I think that brings us to our first key to the game. Like we are the bigger, more athletic team. Make it obvious to people mm-hmm. watching the game on TV which team is more physical. It should be obvious by the end of the night, and it should be the Huskies. It's big boy football, you know. This is power five football. Kent State's not a big boy britches on. Put your big boy britches on. Yep. Bring it on Saturday night. That's I. I couldn't. I couldn't agree more, Sam. I want to make sure that this is something that we talked about going to the Montana game last year, and they did not do that. They looked soft as pancakes last year. Like it was awful. So Japanese fluffy pancakes. Not even like normal flapjacks. It was like cre- it was like crepes last year. Jiggly. <laughs> so none of that, none of that this year. Um, I think that's that's an obvious key to the game. I think we've touched on this next one: win the running game on both sides of the ball. There's there's yards to be had on offense against this defense, yep. and 
our key to stopping their offense is stopping their running game. So make them throw the ball, like Sam said earlier. Um, that's that's where this this all starts. And if I, I think if we're semi-successful at both of those, it should be a pretty comfortable victory for the for the Huskies. Um, last one that I have here is just let your playmakers. This is mostly on offense. Let your playmakers make plays and and get them in space you know it can be said in defense though too you know like free up cam bright to make a play in in the open field free up dom hampton to make a play in the field and make a tackle cause a turnover um but mostly this this revolves around the offense i want to see how kaylin DeBoer and ryan grubb design this offense to get their players in space and that's 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 been their namesake you know with this this offense ever since their sioux falls days so I want to see it in a power five conference with power five athletes and what that looks like. You know, um, we probably saw a glimpse of it, I guess, when they were in Indiana or I guess DeBoer was in Indiana. I don't know. Was Grubb in Indiana with him? I can't recall, but I feel like he was. I think Grubb okay. has been with him since Sioux Falls. Okay. That, I mean, it seems like they're tied at the hip, but um, yeah. Even if not, it was it was the same offense in Indiana. So we've seen a glimpse of it there, but I want to see this on Montlake and and with the athletes that we have at UW. Um, and I think if we do that on offense, we're going to score a lot of points and we're going to you know roll to a comfortable victory. So um, unless you have any other keys to the game here, we should roll off our predictions. Sam, I'll yeah. let you start. Uh, what do you, how do you how do you see Saturday playing out, and what do you see the result being? I see us coming out pretty quick on offense and i think this DeBoer michael Penix jr offense is going to put up a lot of points i think uh defensively i imagine kent state is going to have a successful first drive whether that turns into three points or seven points i'm not sure but i think they'll have a pretty good offensive game plan put together and be able to execute on that first drive for sure and then i think throughout the game their offense is going to pose some issues for this defense. I don't I don't think Kent State's going to light it up by any means, but I see them putting up points. The problem is, yeah. I think at the end of the day, this DeBoer offense, I think Kalen DeBoer is, you know, perceptive enough to be able to look back at how last season went, particularly with the lack of offensive production, and know that, like, this is not a game that you hold your cards close to your chest and, like, not show certain things for the Michigan state game. I think it's a new era. It's a new sheriff in town. You come in and you make sure that there's no doubt about which team is better and make sure that there's no doubt about the offensive prowess that this team can have this season. So I anticipate there to be a lot of success through the air by way of Michael Penix jr's arm I think there'll be plenty of success on the ground with Wayne Talapapa and Will Nixon running the ball, catching the ball out of the backfield. I think the Huskies win a fairly comfortable 45 to 24 win. Um, nice. With that, yeah. with that being said, you know, I do think that there will be moments in the game where it feels like Kent State is a little bit closer than we like. Uh, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I think our backups get in towards i think we pull away in the third quarter coming out of halftime and i think in the fourth quarter the backups come in and you know maybe kent state gets another touchdown in there or another field goal or so but 
I, I don't mm-hmm. anticipate this being a competitive game, and Lord have mercy, I hope it's not. <laughs> your yeah, score, hear, yeah. your score leaves it is a little bit closer than I would like, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I echo your sentiment there, and yeah, I mean, I I see this kind of being a close first half. Like I, I could see some nerves from from the guys, and you know little bit of a lack of chemistry with some of the key positions um, going into this year. I think the offense could, I think they're going to put up points, but I think they could sputter a little bit to start with. Um, I think the yeah. key to this game though, is that we have, we have a coaching staff that can put together a game plan on the fly to make in-game adjustments. And I think that's going to happen at halftime. You're going to see like a 14 to 13 or 14 to 14 game at halftime but we're going to make the necessary oh, adjustments dude. to ro- roll in the second half. <laughs> I'm going to be shitting my pants. At half I know you will be, that's the case. but, but if you see those in-game adjustments there, I think that's going to be super refreshing. I, I, I agree. Like it's going to, it's, it, <laughs> I look, I have us winning 38 to 20. I'll just say that now. Like, I yeah. think that'd be fine. That I think that's nearly covering the sp- spread. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, uh... I feel like, like the spread's got to be what fourteen points, maybe. I thought it was. I don't seventeen. I, I need. I need to look. Let's see. You look at that. I'll continue talking here. This is not. I mean, my dream outcome by any means. This is how I think that it might go, and this is just again a little bit of Montana living in my head from last year. I do think the the offense sputters a little bit in in the first half, but I think twenty three. Okay. Uh. We would not cover in either of our scenarios here, but yeah, you know, it's still, it's still a comfortable victory in the end, you know, and if we end up winning 38 to 20, move on to Portland state. And, you know, if we look better in the second half than we do the first two, I think that'll, that'll also drive some momentum and make me a little bit more positive coming out of the game as well. So I, I hope I hope we just roll these guys. I think Je- what is we should introduce Justin's score. What did he say? Like 49-17 or something like that? I forget. I I forgot. I don't think that we cover. I don't think that we cover. 23 is yeah. a lot. He's got 42-17. So he's got us covering. Yeah. I mean, maybe I mean that'd I just, be great, but I don't think that we're gonna cover. I think 23 is I think they're gonna score points. Yeah, I think yeah. they're gonna score points. I, I think they're at least gonna put I think 20 is like bottom i think they could they're gonna put 20 points on us yeah i think they're gonna so, be like, just how much to we're gonna score yeah mm-hmm. i agree i don't it's think those, i'd be score. surprised if they score more than 30 yeah probably we'd have to i mean we they'd have to really be posing some issues for us that we're not adjusting to yeah but god damn i think we I'm made so I, nervous, I think we made us <laughs> did i just make you more nervous yeah, you did. I didn't I'm make you feel like, any oh, better. Geez. Two I segments ago, how... I was making you feel like 12 and 0. And now you're like, uh, we might I just not remember make how I felt going into that Montana game. And I'm like, if you told me that we were going to score seven Draws points against Montana, terrible memories. I would have been like, dude, are you like, I'll take you for all of your money and your lunch for the rest of your life. Like, there's no way. Well, and especially when we score, we score seven points on the first drive and no then we kidding. don't score after that. Yeah. I just uh, need I just need to like please get not. that monkey off of our back. Yeah. yeah I just, please not I again. I just need it to be I need out two of the things gate. on Saturday. I need Georgia to whip that ass of Oregon. Whip that and damn I need, landing ass. 
I need UW to put on a show Saturday night. That's those are the two things that I need on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. And so, probably a lot of whiskey. Well, I need to be careful with that right now, man. <laughs> I got responsibilities <laughs> right now. Yeah, see, I I don't. I don't. I need I'll, to move I'll, the rest I don't want of to be house. changing my I'll be changing my baby's diaper and I'll be putting it on his head or something like that. Watch out, Liam. Keep your head on a My baby's swivel. just upside down <laughs> on my shoulder, burping him. Hey, no. it's going to be his first Husky game, though. Do you have an outfit picked out for Liam? I do, actually. Yeah, Grant That's got good. a onesie for him. So, yeah, we'll be wearing that on Saturday. I'll take a picture. I'll send it to you. Yeah, I'm going to need some Husky Liam. I'll put that flag up sure. on Saturday, too. I'm excited to get that flag out. Yeah, that'll be I'm nice. Not, It'll be nice to fly that flag proudly rather than like it's still up, I guess, because it's football season. Yeah. I t- I think I took that down like before the end of the season last year because I was just tired of bad seeing football. it <laughs> mm-hmm. being reminded. Anyway. Yeah. So anyways, tune anyway. in 7.30 p.m. Yeah. Saturday. FS1. On Sports 1. Yep. Check it out. Go dogs. Should be Kalen should be entertaining. Yep, should be entertaining. Yeah, Kalen DeBoer gonna get a victory on Saturday in his debut as head coach. Before we wrap up here, uh, we should just touch a little bit on the Mariners. I think we have some time for that. Um, yeah. Other team across town, they're coming off of a sweep against Detroit. I mean, it's the Tr- Detroit Tigers. They suck this year, but they're doing what they're supposed to do, you know. And yep. Before that, a really good series against the Guardians over the weekend. Four-game series. They went 3-1. and one. Could have gone 4-0. and oh. They were up in that game that they lost late. Yeah. Um, so they're rattling off victories when they need to. And it's, it's not always pretty, but they're getting it done. The pitching has been excellent throughout the entire, you know, last two, three weeks. Um, and the offense yeah. has been good enough. So, but I think more than just the team, and how they're playing this year. We need to talk about this young budding superstar on our team and Julio Rodriguez and the contract that he signed last week and the news that that means. Yeah. The news that that means not just for, you know, Julio and the Mariners, but you know, for years to come in the city of Seattle, there's, there's a new icon in town and, and the fans in Seattle and the kids growing up, Sam, you texted me this week. I think, let me, let me find this text. I guess while I'm doing this, why don't, why don't you share your, like, what was your first reaction to the Julio news and in, in signing that well, extension? My first reaction was like, my goodness, the Mariners found a way to not fuck this up. <laughs> like, this is such a huge deal. The fact that we've got him locked up so long term. And then we'll get into more of the details here as we go. But I think this is such a team friendly deal. A major league. I think it is very of all of Mariners hit a young, grand slam. It was an unbelievable deal. And I think mm-hmm. Julio gets what there. This was yep. about as win-win as it could get. Julio, Julio sold future potential upside for long-term generational family security financially. Yep. And what it gives is the Mariners long-term, a lot of financial freedom with a guaranteed superstar on their roster. The reality who does this is, sound like? And who does this not sound like? Well, I know who it doesn't sound like is the freaking $245 million dollar quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I who does it sound be, like though? 
Who does it sound like? I don't know. Who? Who's the guy that we've compared Russ to? Griffey? No. Who's the guy that we've compared Russ to when it comes to quarterback and making a lot of money? Oh, Tom and... Brady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a Tom Brady. A little bit of those vibes. A like... little bit of oh, those yeah. vibes. Where Julio's like, He's betting on himself. There's like MVP voting incentives in here. There's upside in the deal. There's upside. And there, in the deal. there's upside even if there's in upside. the deal. But even if there's underpaid. upside, he's still <laughs> taking a a massive pay cut to what he could be making in ten years from now. Correct. The Correct. fact that like we could be paying him thirty to forty million dollars a year at his peak prime, thirty years old, when he could at in today's game, the best players are making $50 million a year. Yeah, and, Shohei's about to get a $50 million a year yeah, contract. In 10 years from now, Julio's probably yep. worth $60, 60 $70, 70 million mm-hmm. a year. And we're going to be paying mm-hmm. him 30 to 35 Yep. Unreal. And so like, and again... Up to I, an 18-year deal. Lifetime yeah. contract, basically, if all it goes yeah. well. Yeah, so anyways, I think this is... I am supremely impressed that the Mariners didn't find a way to fuck this up (laughs) because we've done it every single time up until now. But like, I am so pleased that one, this deal even got done as soon as it did. And then two, the cherry on top is how the Mariners did not get taken to the bank. And that I think it's either a balanced win-win deal, or if anything, it slightly leans Mariners friendly deal. Yep. Yeah. But oh, going back I mean, to your original point, did you find your text? Because I feel this I way a hundred percent. I'm so pleased. It it the timing is perfect with your son being a month old. It's perfect. Yeah. And I echo all the sentiments that you just had. I, like obviously the I guess the structure of the deal, just real quick, we should go into sure. eight years, 120 million is the base structure. And then there's options basically after year seven. If he's playing well and the team exercises his option, depending on how he does, he's betting on himself, obviously. Like depending yeah. on how it's it's all based on MVP voting essentially. So mm-hmm. there's different tiers of how much he can make and the length of the contracts based on how he performs. But the highest he could perform, and the like if he's a I think it's two two M two time MVP plus. Uh, during that, during those seven years, when we exercise his option, he's making thirty-five million dollars a year for the next ten years. Yeah. So that's a total of I think four hundred and seventy million for eighteen years, <laughs> which is just it's nuts. Like that's that's a that's a crazy contract. Like and and the numbers might seem like extravagant, but the fact that it's eighteen years and the yeah. first eight of those years you're only paying him fifteen million dollars a year, which is what you were paying Kyle Seeger the past. Yeah. <laughs> five years <laughs> yeah it's just ridiculous dude like for the next seven eight years you're gonna get tremendous value from julio and then even yeah. if he is the type of player that you want him to be you're only paying him 35 million dollars a year when everyone else is going to be making like 60 or 70 like sam said that's yeah. unbelievable value and if it all goes to shit if julio flames out he can exercise a deal on his side after it's either the seventh or eighth year for an additional five years at $15 million a year. Yeah. Which at that point, the Mariners can swallow that. They're going to be fine. That's not going to yeah. be like a, like uh, 
a Robinson Cano type of deal that completely right. derails your team. Or you, know, you can swallow that money. Bobby Bonella deal or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Like you're gonna be fine as 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 the team. So no doubt in my mind, the Mariners are the real winners in this in this deal. Yeah. Happy for Julio, and this is definitely life changing money for him. And I think this shows his loyalty to not only the organization but the city of Seattle. Yeah. And on that point is where I want to tie in Sam's text to me this this uh, this past week. So on Friday, this is you know shortly after this deal was announced and uh my son's name is liam so just just for context liam and other future ecf babies so fans of the podcast i don't know how many there'll be but nonetheless this is mostly this mostly is revolving around my son liam just like for for my sake we'll grow up with their own version of griffey and that makes me happy and like that that just put it in full perspective for me. And it's something that obviously ran through my mind too, even before this deal was, was signed is that like, I want Julio to be this next generation's Griffey. And you've talked about on this podcast, Sam, how much of a hero was Griffey to you? Like growing up, he was, he was like, he was everything. He still is everything. Like I watched the re I, I didn't get to watch the Ichiro hall of fame induction ceremony, Seattle Mm. hall of fame induction. That speech was really good. Which was great, and everybody should go watch it. But at the same time, like the presence that Griffey has among that group of folks, and like seeing Griffey even just there, like it, there is no player in any sport at any point in time, and at any point in time in the future that will ever hold the place that Griffey holds in my sports fandom. And I think yeah. I can guarantee you that you would say the same thing. And I think Justin would like, that was just our generation. Like when yep. we became very impressionable, young sports fans, we were so fortunate to have one of the most talented, fun, loving, energetic, personable athletes in sports history in our hometown. And at that point, Seattle was a podunk town. Like Seattle oh, yeah. was a small market. Baseball was on its growing. baseball was on its way out too, right? And Griffey saved it by himself. Yep. And so, like, our generation has such a special connection with Griffey. The fact that we just got, and I know the comparisons are going to be there forever. Center fielder, they will. You know, he's got a very infectious personality and smile. He's got natural talent. The physical skill set and physical stature is there he's gonna be forever compared to griffey but the fact that the mariners didn't mess this up and that they've locked down this generate what we think is a generational talent barring any injuries or any freak accidents the fact that we have that locked up for the next eight to 18 years for this next generation of Mariners fans. I just it's Seattle sports fans. I couldn't be more pleased and happy that that this deal got done. Because when you think about it for us, I mean, we were born in what you were 91, I was 92 and Griffey showed up I was in 89. Oh. oh, you were 92, yeah. gotcha. Very beginning of 92. Yeah, and like Griffey showed up in 89 and like we grew up alongside him and it was the best thing ever. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just and that's it's unbelievable. That's exactly what this is for for my son right now. And like I'm I'm happy for future him, you know, and like like 
seeing that text from Sam, like just like general genuinely made me like a little bit teary eyed just because I get emotional about Griffey just thinking about, yeah, you know, the kid, the kid memories that I have watching him, um, that he's going to be able to have those moments growing up watching Julio. And at least there's a potential for that, you know, and, um, the fact that that that's the case, I'm, I'm just absolutely thrilled, um, for Julio, for the Mariners and for the city of Seattle and its fans. Um, you know, I, again, I, I think this brings back that discussion a little bit that we had, uh, a couple, maybe two, three episodes ago about, would you take Russ and the last 10 years or would you take like it's an either or situation or would you take Julio in the next 10 years? And <laughs> now you have a contract. Yeah, I feel a little bit and, better. I feel a little differently now. I think when yeah, you posted it the first time, I was like, oh, man, it's hard to pass up a Super Bowl victory in hand. Yep. But, and that's that's part of it, which sucks. But which sucks. And like. I think in the previous conversation we had, I was pretty bullish. Like, yeah, I can't give up a Super Bowl for what could be with Julio. Mm-hmm. But now knowing that we have him for the next eight years for 15 mil, like we can sign a lot of flexibility. Luis Castillo That's... to an extension. We can sign yep. Mitch Hanniger to extension. We can extend Ty France. We can go get potentially be in the sweepstakes for Aaron Judge or Shohei Otani. A Trey Turner. Or, or a Trey yeah. Turner. And so it's like... Yep. I think this Seattle Mariners team is the 2012 Seahawks right now. Yeah. I think we're going to make the playoffs. I think we're going to make the playoffs. I think we're going to maybe be one and done. Maybe Maybe we get out of wild card and, and and go out in the division series. But like you have your star player in Julio, which would be Russ. And we lost to Atlanta in that first round. And it's like, Oh, this team is on the cusp of Mm -hmm. something. And like we can make mm-hmm. a couple of key free agent hires, like you know we brought in somebody like Chris Clemens, or you know Brandon. Chris Brown Clemens was in. on his way out. We brought in Cliff Averill, or Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, mm-hmm. those types yep. of players. And so like, yep. And to your point, comparing like you know what Russ was and wanted to be, and what he actually wasn't in the end of the day is. This deal with Julio Rodriguez, with the talent that he has, and like as he begins to get MLB IQ and knowledge and his strikeout rate comes down, holy shit. Like what kind of player can he become? And on the deal that he's on, what kind of team can DePoto build around him? I would say at this point, with the way that the contract shook out, I think that there's a I think I would be willing to sacrifice the Super Bowl for the opportunity for multiple World Series with with Julio. And that's crazy. Which that's is bonkers. absolutely nuts that you're you are handing in a for sure world championship for the potential of what could be for the next 10 to 15 years with Julio and the Mariners. That's that's just uh, you're betting yeah. on the Seattle Mariners right now, which is just crazy. I I, I'm which just, going... I'm, I, I'm just, I'm saying this like not to, not to counter your point. I'm just saying this for emphasis on like how nuts this deal makes this conversation. Yeah, no, I know. And it's like, believe me, I was, like I said earlier, I watched that Ichiro Seattle hall of fame induction earlier today. And mm-hmm. it's like, 
Ichiro, for all in, he, I mean, he is the hit king. I don't. He's the sure. best hitter in baseball history, in my mind. And like the fact that he played that many years for the Seattle Mariners, and we did not make the playoffs again since his rookie year, is like a hard thing to get past. But there yeah. is something just like Julio has that it factor that just makes me feel like it's gonna he's gonna get it done. And I think going back to that conversation about like Liam and future kids of this generation growing up with Julio Rodriguez as a Mariner is like not only does he have the God does he have the God given talent to play baseball at a high level, but he also has that like and that's why the comparisons happen to Griffey. He has that like it youthful, kid like humbleness factor that's just like so lovable that you can't Mm -hmm. help but root for him like you watch him in the home run derby and think about how many fans across the country he won by just like oh yeah having a good time and getting after it and just like being you can tell that he just loves playing the game and he loves trying to win and it's important to him and I think this and deal that deal shows everything. how important it is. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, dude. Yep, couldn't have said it better. I'm sorry that I interrupted because that's I I I shouldn't have taken that point from you. No, but I think it only like, emphasizes the point that we are both thinking the same thing at the same time. Correct. Like, it, and I think that that's that's honestly like the Julio stuff aside is a huge storyline, obviously. But like, that's that's a huge storyline too. Like that's a huge secondary storyline to this is just the ramifications of this deal and, and the flexibility that they can have in this payroll. Um, so long as the owner is willing to spend, which I, I mean, clock's ticking now that you got Julio on the, on, on this deal. So I feel like they're going to do it. Um, so as, as long as John Stanton and the other owners are, are willing to spend, which no salary cap in baseball, by the way, so right. they can spend as much as they want, but I, this, this Mariners team should have a top 12 payroll. Like, yeah, shit, they man. Just should. you've been saving up your money for this time. It's like, you've yep. been waiting and for that super nice dream home to come on the market. Well, shit, it's on the market. It's time to, yep. time to write the checks. And the fact that you can, you can, you can retain Luis Castillo at $25, $30 million a year now for the next like five years. And yeah. that's fine. You can totally do that. And yeah. the fact that you can extend Mitch Hanniger now, which I mean, Hanniger has been hurt and stuff. I don't think he's going to get the biggest deal ever or anything like yeah. that. He would probably but honestly like, get more from the Mariners than anyone else. Are you going to extend um, Gilbert? Are you going to extend Kirby? Like, yep. This and that's all, that's all down the line. System. Yeah. Yep. That's all down the line. Yeah, for sure. And some of those guys, I think we will. Some of those guys may, maybe we won't, but right. I mean, it, 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 that conversation is, is for another time. You know, like we got arbitration years and years of club control on a lot of those guys. Right. So, right. um, yeah, man, couldn't be more excited for, for when this news broke. I think, um, I think, I think the Mariners absolutely knocked this out of the park. Um, I'm really happy for, for them and for Julio as well. Um, and the fact that Julio was, um, so excited about signing this deal too. I think it's just, it is a cool sign of things to come. I hope, I hope he doesn't regret it one day, you know, 10 years down the road when his peers are making 60, $70 million. He doesn't really seem like that type to me, but he's also really young. So that could change. Um, but uh, I, I hope he doesn't regret it one day. 
the same time, he doesn't really have a choice at that point. You know, this is kind of the deal that he signed and it's, yeah. it's guaranteed money. That's the thing with baseball contracts as well. The team has control of him, you know, and he can, he can force a trade or something like that, but that's not going to make yeah. him any more money. So, and I think, I think, you know, at the end of the day, he's betting on himself big time, not only in terms of his contract and the MVP voting incentives that we've already mentioned, but I think he's a really, he flirts the line between being extremely self-confident, but he's also has this humble nature about him at the end of the day. Like he's guaranteed $120 million. I think he feels pretty damn good about that. I know I would. Yep. (laughs) And yeah, right. <clears throat> he's got upside to make four hundred and seventy million dollars on this deal, and and I think he's team... technically guaranteed two hundred and ten because he because he he or, can exercise right, his right. five year five you're year right. ninety million. Correct. So, you're right. I misspoke. So, but guaranteed two hundred and ten, no, and then upside up to nearly half a billion dollars. And yeah, listen, good. Knowing where Julio's head is at, and if you're as his age, if you're his agent. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes more money than that in the marketing world. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. So like, that's the other element of it. And that's the thing yep. that like Russell Wilson, that's the thing that pissed me off about him that Tom Brady <laughs> got right mm-hmm. was like, if you take a pay cut in your salary and you're able to allow the team to build a better team around you and invest in the different components of the team, that will only strengthen your marketing and brand position in terms of yeah, adver- if you're in, advertisement dollars and whatnot. Like mm-hmm. Julio, if you're in multiple world, world series and stuff like that, like the, yeah, the name Julio Rodriguez is going to be literally synonymous with baseball at that point. Yeah. Which is the upside. Like Julio Rodriguez ceiling is, is like probably Derek Jeter. better player but yeah but no i know but like i'm just saying name and baseball, as far as like like sure. multiple yeah. world series perennial all-star first ballot mm-hmm. hall of famer you know i would love to say griffey but griffey never won at all yeah and like julio right. has the upside to take this mariners team to places it's never been right and i'm here for it <laughs> oh i'm i'm all here for it man I'm here for all of it. Yeah. So go yeah, watch man. your Mariners. I'm, I'm got upcoming big series against the Guardians again. In again, Cleveland this time. It's like, yep. It's a this, it's a this potential is potentially a matchup. Yep. Potentially a playoff matchup. Like that as as of uh I guess like a week ago it was. Yep. I think we're in the, up in the five five position now, so we'd be playing Tampa, but I mean, there's there's still 30 plus games left in this season, so no doubt the standings are going to shuffle a little bit. Um, but it, the Mariners are in a really really good position, really favorable position, and um, need to prove it again against Cleveland. We, we have we have some tough games coming up. With I misspoke on the last episode. We have we have Cleveland, and then we have a home series against Atlanta, who's really fucking good. Obviously, yeah. the World Series uh, uh, World Series winners from last year. Um, and then we have the Padres in town for a couple games as well. So after that, though, the schedule lightens up a lot. We got the White Sox, I think, at one point, which they're kind of starting to come yeah. back down to earth a little bit more. Um, but we have a lot of games against like the A's, Royals, Rangers, uh, Angels, like in the last 20 games. So 
Um, that's where this team can really make up any ground that they might lose over the next week, week and a half. Hopefully they just don't lose that ground though. And they just, you know, they solidify that they're a playoff team. They're certainly playing like it right now. And as long as they keep doing that, um, they, they, sh- they, sh- they should end this drought. You know, I'll go on record right now. They should end this drought. Yeah. I mean, the, Justin, even said it. Justin, Justin texted both you and I earlier tonight. ESPN has the Mariners at 97.3% chance of making the playoffs. That's crazy. So, that's crazy. That's not I mean, they're re- <laughs> in, in actuality. They're only what two, three games up on the, on the, like the guys, they're the teams that are contending for the wild card. So it's not like they're 10 games clear right now with 30 to go. Like they, it is, like they still have work to do, but it's it, shocking given the me. schedule. Yeah. Given the schedule, the way that they're playing, the pitching that they have, it's favorable. It should, it should, it should lend itself to a playoff spot. Honestly, the way that I feel is more like 75%. Like I feel really good about it. That's still good. Yeah. That's I feel good. really good about it. 97. That seems a little inflated. <laughs> like have ESPN, yeah. have you been uh, paying attention for like, you know, I don't know, 21 years or Less, so. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, anything else you want to touch on tonight, Sam? No, I think we touched on. We covered a lot, and yeah, we covered a lot, and not too long. I don't think this is quite two hours, so we did a little yeah, bit better. I mean, you're welcome, Kyle. Yeah, you're welcome, Kyle. Kyle, <laughs> who I did see at the weekend and and flipped him plenty of shit about his you know little two oh, hour podcast comment. Good, good. Did he have a response? He felt bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, dude, Kyle I'm just would. kidding. I'm just kidding. Kyle would. Oh, it's okay, Kyle. No, it's all yeah. fun and games. It's all good. Cool, man. Well, really excited for the dogs game on Saturday, obviously. Um, that's that's where our focus is right now, but equally excited for Julio, the extension, and this Mariners run that they're on to make the playoffs this year. Um, but again, we're going to football season right now. For the most part, this is going to be a football podcast. We'll definitely cover the Mariners in this stretch run in, in those podcasts though. We'll kind of sprinkle it in at the end. I think kind of like we did in this episode. So we'll get, we'll get both teams, but it's primarily going to be football talk on this podcast. Anyway, thanks for listening folks. As always, we appreciate the support, subscribe and follow if you haven't already and leave us a message via the anchor link in our description until next time. Go Mariners. And go dogs!